Welcome to Let's Talk Careers Podcast, where we discuss how education can set you apart from the crowd and elevate your career. If you're looking for support, inspiration, or a reason to not give up, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview individuals who have used their education to reach great heights in their career. We provide real-life examples and encouragement to support students on their career journeys. If you're ready to talk careers with us, then stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Careers Podcast. I am your host, Miss Riley, and my co-host today is Miss Deja Lockard. Miss Deja Lockard is a member of VSAC. She's also a senior in a double major in marketing and finance, and today's episode is going to be a good one. We are interviewing Dr. Gemma, who has valuable insight to our students, especially our international students, about the importance of setting yourself apart and developing skills in addition to your degree to make yourself valuable to employers. I'm going to turn it over to Ms. Deja now. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Okay. So I want to start off um, with this question of how long have you been a part of the RCB and then how has your experience been thus far? So I've been part of RCB close to going on two years now uh, and I actually have a good experience. I, I like the people I work with. Everybody is uh, very nice and considerate. Uh, so uh, I've had a great experience. Okay, good. If you could highlight one thing um, that has been just phenomenal uh, during your time here, what would that be? I think it would be the students uh, and the people I work with. Uh, you know, the faculty have been phenomenal in helping me know Magnolia and just helping me know what is where when I first began. So that was uh, phenomenon. I came from a different university where uh, it was so big that you know, nobody knows, knew, you know, um, nobody had time to you know, show you stuff and uh, help you with this with these little, little things. Uh, so that for me has been phenomenal. Great. We're happy to have you. So where did you go to college? I went to school at uh, Loyola University, Chicago. Um, and then I did my master's at the University of Memphis, uh, and then my PhD at Virginia Tech. Okay. So, like, what was your experience like in college as a college student? So, as a college student, as an undergraduate student, I had a phenomenal experience uh, because uh, I met wonderful people. I really liked the college life that was created by uh, Loyola University Chicago. The academic part was rigorous, but they also put just as much work and funding into creating a a college life for its students. And I lived on campus, and uh, when I think of college life, I think of the experience, because they are deliberately creating that uh, experience for students. Uh, And... uh, most of the people that have graduated from Loyola Chicago say the same thing, that they give to Loyola because of their experience, not because of their academics. So they created a wonderful experience uh, for me. So I, I had a good time. Good. So, like, were, we, were you involved on campus in any organizations, sports? 
Yes, I played, uh, uh, I played soccer, uh, uh, and I was involved with other uh, activism groups, uh, and I also was involved with other religious groups uh, on campus. And so uh, I was not in any fraternity, but th those things were plenty for me to do. And so uh, having experienced that, uh, you know, playing soccer and uh, and being involved with activism group uh, was, uh, for me, had a lot of meaning. And the college created space for that so people could do that and they encouraged it. And so it's one of those campuses where you, you don't see people go home over the weekend because there's so much to do and there's so much uh, fun stuff to do. So it wasn't a weekday college. Right. Okay, it seems like you were very um, busy. So like, what would you say was your biggest struggle as an undergrad student? I think my biggest struggle was finding time to balance both academia and other stuff that I wanted to do. Uh, at Loyola, Chicago, the location where it's set up is very metropolitan, and there's always something going on, something that you know, uh, you could uh, you could benefit from. You, you have speakers coming on campus from Monday through Saturday, even Sunday sometimes. And it always seems like this. there's something going on. And so that was really difficult. It was a challenge because you have to decide. I had to decide, should I go and study or should I go uh, see this person who worked with Obama come speak? Uh, and so that was a challenge uh, for sure. And Loyola had very prominent people come and speak and uh, meet with students. And so it was just finding that balance was, was challenging. Okay, so you talked about finding a balance. How did you find your balance? I know a lot of our students struggle with that, even at SAU. For me, um, uh, what I did was uh, I work well at night. And I work well very late at night. Uh, and so most of the things that happened were during the day. And so I had to, even though I attend some of that stuff, I had to add, uh, to preserve some energy to work at night. Uh, I work very late at night and, uh, you know, uh, and so that's where, that's where my balance. I did 80% of my work uh, in the evening because it was quiet, nobody's around, and I think better when people are not around, so to speak. Uh, it's just less distraction for me. And so for me, that that worked. Uh, on the weekends, uh, I just didn't do too much, but I did uh, about three to four hours of work, and that was it. And then I didn't do anything else. So as soon as I was done with that, I did other stuff. And so looking back, I think I didn't see it as that, but I was very scheduled and uh, organized in terms of uh, trying to protect the time that I needed to do stuff. Okay, so how was it navigating um, through college as an international student? Oh, it was very challenging uh, in terms of, uh, you know, you don't know what is what, and uh, uh, as an international student, you know, you don't have the benefits that the students here have, 
you can't apply for loans, uh, and you always have to, um, you know, be careful, look at what your visa says, if it's expiring, and so on and so forth. And so if you don't have someone guiding you through that, that can bring a lot of uh, mental baggage, and that can be an impediment to uh, a lot of things, just to a lot of... Uh, can be a lot of barriers. It can bring a lot of barriers. Uh, for me, uh, Loyola had a good international community team. Uh, they were very organized. Uh, they knew what they were doing, and they knew when things had to be done. And uh, before we left the country, they checked everything for us. They checked our I-20s. They made sure that you could leave and you can come back safely. And they were always, always available. And when I say always available, I mean, you know, you, if I needed a meeting, I could get it whenever I needed it, even if it's on a Sunday. That's how available they were. And they were also very unconventional, where you could meet with someone, not inside the office, but you could meet with someone at a coffee shop or at the cafeteria. Uh, so that's how Loyola had that set up. And that just made it so much easier to, to do meetings and and uh, and things like that. And so in that aspect, it was challenging because you always had to think about this. But on the other part, it was very easy because Loyola had a very clear process and they had connections with migration attorneys that you could talk to if, they, if there was need to. They also had a bunch of international students who had gone through this before. And so uh, it was not, uh, it wasn't such a horrible experience. It was just, uh, they, they made it easy to keep in touch and to make sure that everything was, uh, was organized and that you are in good status with the U.S. government. Okay. And so like, what advice would you have for our international students? I think one advice, advice, and I think it's the most critical advice, is know your visa status. Know uh, when your visa expires. Before you leave the country, make sure that the international uh, department has taken a look at your I-20. And so you can leave the country and you can come back safely. I've had cases where someone left the country and they are not able to come back in because something was missing. They didn't get something from the international community. Their I-20 was missing a stamp and so on and so forth. So know your F1 status. Know if you can work, where you can work, how you can work, whether in the United States. If you are here on an F1 visa, you can only work at 20 hours on campus. Uh, so know that uh, most students try to work outside. And that brings problem because as soon as you do that, you are in violation of immigration law and you are deportable. So uh, be mindful of that. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, what, motivated, mo what motivated you to get out of bed and just keep going in college? I think uh, for me was I had a scholarship. So I had to get out of bed to keep that scholarship. But apart from that, I think I believed in what I was doing. I had a goal in mind. I wanted to uh, to finish 
and move on. Uh, but I also enjoyed what I was studying at that time. So those two things, I, I think, got me out of bed. Uh, yeah. And so how did you know that you wanted to pursue a career in marketing? I didn't. Uh, I didn't know that I wanted to pursue a career in marketing. In fact, the way it happened is uh, very nonlinear. It wasn't a linear process. I had no marketing background. I didn't study marketing as an undergrad. Um, I studied international studies. I didn't study marketing as a graduate student doing my master's. I studied uh, liberal studies and political science. Uh, and uh, and uh, I, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do with that. I knew I wanted to get a PhD at some point, uh, but uh, I didn't know exactly. I thought it was going to be political science, but finishing my master's, I realized that's not what I want to do. Then I thought maybe it's international studies. I thought that's what, not what I want to do. Uh, what I want to do. So, yeah. So I really didn't. And I met uh, one professor who was um, in the business school who uh, actually helped me. He said, well, maybe you should take a, a marketing class and see how this is because I had a graduate assistantship uh, in business school, which was very unusual at that time. Uh, and so I took a marketing course and uh, and I liked it, and it began from there. Okay, what did you like about the course? Like, what stood out? What made well, you know if that was the direction you wanted to go? Well, one thing that stood out is it was only three students. And it was very different from what I was used to, uh, because we're used to a teacher coming in class, a professor, and teaching. In graduate school, in doctoral level course, because this was a doctoral level course that I took, uh, it was different. It was three students, and you were expected to teach the entire time for three hours every single day. So you read a lot, and the teacher was just there as a guiding post. Uh, the other thing that stood out to me, so that stood out to me, and the amount of information you learn during that time is, for me, was unbelievable because uh, you... I learned a lot as a master's student, but taking this course, I learned so much because 95% of the reading and thinking was, I was doing that as opposed to taking tests. There were no tests to take, but it was one of the most challenging courses I ever took. So that stood out to me. Uh, the other thing is it was just very interesting because it was a very different type of thinking and a very different type of uh, looking at the world. Uh, that's how I came to understood, well, you do not need a business degree to do a PhD because there's very little, co very little, uh, uh, there's very little connection, those two, because it's just a totally different type of um, learning. Okay, what was your first job out of college? Uh, my first job out of college was, uh, as an undergrad, I did uh, plant flowers for people. That's what I did. So I finished college, and I was in uh, Chicago, and I started uh, planting flowers and doing one uh, uh, 
cutting lawn for people, uh, uh, cutting grass for people. So that was that was my first job. How did that job, if it did, prepare you for what you're doing now? I think uh, that's one job that I really liked. I still do quite a bit of that uh, uh, now. Uh, but I liked that job because it was I all I had my my own small business, and I realized that uh, uh, there was a lot of opportunity doing that kind of work. Uh, and one thing is, I had to go find my own customers, and it was very difficult to find customers because you have people say, "Well, we'll come, back, we'll call you back, or we'll do this, or uh, we have someone working for us right now." And so, in a way, it is a profession that you could say was full of rejection from potential customers, and I think that actually prepared me for. Uh, for what I'm doing now because a big part of what I'm doing now is doing research and there's a lot of rejection in the publication process. Okay. Um, so a lot of our students, well, seniors specifically, graduation is around the corner and they're going to start entering the workforce. Uh, and sometimes I'm one of those students, we don't know what to expect. So how could I position myself? Um, what's the best way? How, could I, how do I want to ask this? What's something that I need to know going into the workforce as a recent grad, first job, potentially like entering into corporate America? How could I stand out? I think you could stand out by asking yourself, what am I bringing to the table? And if the answer to that question is, I'm bringing my degree from SAU, then that might not be enough to sustain you through uh, the, the workforce because there is many, many, many people who are coming out with a bachelor's degree in business. In, uh, in business. So as an employer, what I'll be looking is, okay, what else can you bring? Uh, do you have any data analysis skill that you can use? Are you proficient in Microsoft Excel that everybody uses now? Uh, are you, what are you bringing to the table that everybody doesn't have? The thousands and thousands of students who are graduating from schools in Arkansas, in Tennessee, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, don't have. And so I always say uh, if, you, if you have to look beyond your bachelor's degree. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, uh, it, and it doesn't really necessarily, you have, don't, I, don't, I don't believe you don't need to necessarily know someone. But if you know somebody who works for a company, perhaps I think internship is important, just having that real world work experience uh, is important because... You now go from theory to practice, and now you get to work with the people you don't like or the people that you like. And, uh, and so uh, I think to answer your question is ask yourself, what are you bringing to the table? And if you can answer that question honestly, then I think you would know if you can be, you will sustain 
in 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 a work environment if you will be competitive. The thing is, it's not like you can't get a job. You will get a job. I think everybody will get a job. It's just, will you be competitive? Okay. What if someone doesn't have the skills right now? They listen to this podcast and then they think, okay, now it's time for me to get some skills. You know, again, graduation is right here and I want to have a leg up on the competition. Do you have any resources or just um, what direction should they go in to find those skills or figure out which skills they need? I think in the year 2022 is one of the easiest uh, uh, information availability is, is uh, information is very cheap, almost free. If you have internet access, you can basically get any type of information you want. You can also get any type of training that you want. There is no, I, I have no idea if we've ever lived at a time where information is as available as it is now. So, if you, for example, decide, well, I'm going to be a marketing analyst, or you're thinking of applying for marketing analyst job, then you have to ask yourself, what would a marketing analyst need to know? Well, the first thing is you have to be good at analyzing data. And you might say, well, I really don't know how to analyze data. I didn't learn that, or I learned it on my second semester. Well, lucky for you, because YouTube, you can start by learning Excel on YouTube, and you can learn Excel on YouTube for free, and if you even want a very structured um, course, you can pay $10 and have a complete package on Udemy or uh, other sites on YouTube. That, just by learning Excel and saying that you're proficient in Excel, will give you a leg up. Because when you go for a job interview and someone asks you, can you do a VLOOKUP? Can you do this? Can you make a pivot table? And the answer is, yes, absolutely. Then you can help us. Then they could, you could uh, do some data analysis for us. By doing that, you already stand out because a lot of people, a lot of students have no idea or have very little knowledge in advanced Excel. Right. Okay, thank you for that. Um, do you have any more advice for students, um, regardless of their major, just students outside of the business world? Um, looking to enter the workforce or just college advice? I, yes, I think students should look into not only entering the workforce, whether you're a business student or whether you are a student in um, another major. Students should look at creating a workforce. Uh, most of the students want to join the workforce, but they, there's also opportunity to create a workforce create a company, start your own business. Uh, nobody say that you should go and be employed. Not, employment is not for everybody. And I think most students, uh, if you ask me, take the safe route. Employment is a safe route with, uh, uh, in terms of employment. But I think uh, they should also at least try and take a risk and start their own business and see how that goes. Maybe they will like it. Maybe they'll find out that they're not cut out to be employed because not everybody's cut out to be employed. Or maybe they'll find out that they're not cut out to be on a business. But I think students should look at uh, being the workforce or creating a workforce because most students discount that. 
uh, and they just say, oh, I'm graduating, I'll be employed. Very few students think in terms of being a workforce, creating a workforce. I'm glad you said that. Okay, a lot of students I know have aspirations to, you know, be their own boss and do, like you said, create your own workforce. Um, but, again, it's the risk factor involved and just the fear of failing or fear of losing and not um, not the fear of it being not being what you expected it to be. Is there, like, a safe way or a strategic way to shift over into that, or would you recommend for them to just go for it, um, go all in? Well, I think that you should look at what are you passionate about. Um, I like being outside, for example. And I like talking to people. And so when I started my first business as planting flowers and doing lawn for people, that for me was something natural that I do. I still do it today just because I don't do it as much, but I, I think it's fun. It's something I enjoy. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy creating my own schedule. Uh, and I also knew something about planting flowers and cutting uh, people's lawn. And beyond that, uh, I knew how to talk to people uh, and, and, and price stuff. So I think that if you are going to do it, there is no guarantees. And I think that if you are, if anybody is looking for guarantees in starting a business uh, and they are comfortable with that, that would be challenging. I think when you are going into a business, when you are even get going for an employment, there is always a chance, there's always a probability that things are not going to work out. Now, if things don't work out and you fail, you take that as a learning process. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think that you should fail a little or come close to failure because perhaps it might be the best thing that ever happened to you. If you don't fail, then I don't think you can learn as much or you will learn as much, you know. Uh, so there is no guarantee. And I think if you're looking for a guarantee, if you're a student and you're looking for a guarantee, perhaps in business, perhaps that is not a route for you. However, there are ways that you can minimize risk. For example, at SAU, we have the small business office that can help you minimize risk by telling you, you know, if you want to start a restaurant, there are 17 Mexican restaurants in Magnolia, so probably that's not a good idea. I'm not saying that there are 17. I haven't looked, but... There's quite a few. Quite, quite <laughs> a few. So that might not be a good idea. And that's a resource that students who want to start a business should take advantage of. I don't think a lot of students take advantage of that. They are an incredible resource, and uh, it will cost thousands of dollars for students if they are not affiliated with the SAU to use their services. For now, for business students and for everybody in the SAU community, it's free for them. They should go to that office, they should talk to uh, Janelle uh, and her colleague if they are thinking of starting a business, and they should go from there. Okay, what character traits or um, just different attributes should a person have who want to be, who wants to be their own boss? I think if you want to you be your own boss, and uh, you are never, never truly your own boss, because even if for example, you say you are on boss, you, the customers are your employees if you own your restaurant. But I think one of the things is if you want to be your own boss, if you want to be uh, 
independent. I think you should be open to rejection. I think you should be open to uh, uh, rejection and criticism. And I think that one of the things is uh, we it 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 it's a trait that I think a lot of people when 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 they are criticized they don't have the you know they 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 feel discouraged or they feel like this is not for me but sometimes that is is a good thing because you look at it from the person who is criticizing is they might not even think that they are criticizing they might think that they're just giving you their point of view uh, and so I think you need to have the the grit if you really want to start your own business and in fact not only your own business if you're doing anything even if you're employed yeah okay so we've talked a lot about um you know your career your journey um, what do you do beyond the classroom so what i do beyond the classroom is i do a lot of research and i do a lot of writing uh, so most of my time is spent uh writing uh, uh for research uh I also do a lot of yard work. Uh, I do it for myself. I do it for people sometimes. I enjoy being out there. Uh, so that's, that's kind of what I do uh, beyond, beyond the classroom. Okay. Do you have any special projects going on or anything? Uh, in terms of research? Just in general. Yes, I do have a couple of project, uh, projects that I am working on. I'm working on a, a project on hope and financial decision-making. And what that is, is I'm trying to look, me and my co-author, we are trying to look how hope leads to financial decision-making. And we are hypothesizing that people who are hopeful tend to actually save more. And what we found uh, is that... Uh, if you induce people with hope and then you measure their savings, we see an increase in their savings. And so hope becomes an antecedent to savings because we know that there's a lot of uh, things that have been proposed uh, that could help people save. But now we introduce this new antecedent, hope, as another way of helping people to save for their future. And as you know, uh, one in four Americans don't have enough savings. One in four Americans cannot afford $1,000 uh, expense. Uh, and that says something. Uh, and so uh, we're introducing hope. That's a project. We're introducing hope as a factor to uh, help people save. That's great. I know it's still an ongoing project, but um, if you could give a student any, like, financial advice, um, I know, like, in college, um, you know, there's a term that people use, like, a, it's called, like, a broke college student. How could, <laughs> how could you keep, what advice would you say to them uh, to keep them from being a broke person in the real world? Oh, okay. I think, first of all, uh, I think you have to appraise uh, what your income is going to be. Uh, and so if you're graduating with a business degree, if you're graduating with a nursing degree, you should know what the market says. You should know, 
your value in the market. So that's number one. And then number two, I think that, you know, for financial advice, it's mostly based on individual difference, but we know that empirical research says that spend less, save more. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I don't think there's anything I can say beyond that, you know, uh, that, you know, if, if, first of all, you have to have an income, know your income, because if you don't know your, your value, people are going to tell you in the job market that you're worth this. And if you don't know, you can't come back and say, no, that's not what the market says. I'm worth more than that. So if you know your income and you get that income, then you actually, uh, I don't know, save more, spend less. Uh, and I'd say that, to be honest, if you are graduating today and you are 21, 22, start saving for your retirement now. Don't wait until you are in your 30s and your 40s. Okay, now you said something about um, knowing um, your value and knowing um, how much money you were going to receive from your employer. Um, but I hear a lot about people um, on social media that give different business advice, and they talk about, like, negotiating your contract. Are you familiar with that? And have you had to do that before? Right, right. Uh, it, it's, it's, so what's, what's, what's your question exactly? Okay, basically, how would someone go about negotiating um, their salary? So to say? I think the first... I think the first thing to negotiating your salary is knowing what would the market offer at a particular situation, at a particular location, and on what is the market offering. So, for example, if you are a nurse or if you are a physical therapy graduating, you know that you, the, 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 your salary would be X percent or X amount. And we know that from the Department of Labor because these salaries are available and they're reported and it's not private by the Department of Labor. They say a nurse is receiving this salary in the state of Arkansas. A nurse with X amount of experience is receiving this in the state of Arkansas. And so if the starting salary for a nurse is 60000 and somebody offers you 40000 you know that's not your value. That's number one. And number two, have option. And by... When I say option in negotiating, it means that there are certain skills that will be usable wherever you go. So if someone says, you are a nurse, we are going to offer you this amount, and you say no, you already know or you have the confidence that you can get another job in the next five minutes because you have the skill. If you don't have the skills, like we're talking about earlier, it's very hard to negotiate. It's very hard to say you basically take whatever you are being offered and you're underselling yourself. But if you have the skill, then you have an upper hand because now you can negotiate. Now you become more attractive in terms of uh, what you can do and you have more options. If you, if you don't have skills, that you're bringing, you have less option. And if you have less option, your negotiations become very 
uh, you don't have a lot of room to negotiate. Right, right. Okay, if you could leave our listeners with one final message, what would you say? I would say that we live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, and there's a lot of opportunity out there that uh, uh, that's available. There's also a lot of criticism and there's a lot of people who are going to discourage you to not do stuff that you're passionate about. I say, you know, follow your heart uh, and, you know, uh, just do what you think is right within reason. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation, and I know that it will be valuable to our listeners. Um, if anyone listening to the podcast wants to contact you, and maybe they have further questions about your experience and just they want more advice from you, um, what's the best way to contact you? Uh, they can use my email, stevenjuma at stumag.edu. I am at uh, 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 RCB room 333. So they can send me an email or come by, and I'll be happy to talk to them some more. Okay, again, thank you for your time, and thank you for uh, speaking to us. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. We really enjoyed the interview. Thanks so much.